ಜಯೋ ವ್ರಜನರಂಜನ ಜಯೋ ಯಮುನತಿರವನಚಾರಿ ಜಯೋ ಕುಂಜಬಿಹಾರಿ ಜಯೋ ಯಮುನತಿರವನಚಾರಿ ಜಯೋ ಕುಂಜಬಿಹಾರಿ ಜಯೋರಾಧವ ಜಯೋ ಕುಂಜಬಿಹಾರಿ ಜಯೋರಾಧ ಮಾಧವ ಜಯೋ ಕುಂಜಬಿಹಾರಿ ಜಯ ಗೋಪಿ ಜನವಲ್ಲಭ ಜಯೋಗಿರಿವರಧಾರಿ ಜಯೋಗಿರಿವರಧಾರಿ ಜಯ ಗೋಪಿ ಜನವಲ್ಲಭ ಜಯೋಗಿರಿವರಧಾರಿ ಜಯೋಗಿರಿವರಧಾರಿ ಜಯ ಶೋಧನಂದನ ಜಯೋ ವ್ರಜನರಂಜನ ಜಯ ಯಶೋಧನಂದನ ಜಯೋ ವ್ರಜನರಂಜನ ಜಯೋ ಯಮುನತಿರವನಚಾರಿ ಜಯೋ ಕುಂಜಬಿಹಾರಿ ಜಯೋ ಯಮುನತಿರವನಚಾರಿ ಜಯೋ ಕುಂಜಬಿಹಾರಿ ಹರೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಹರೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣ 
कृष्णा कृष्णा हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे 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 कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे 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 कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे जय प्रभु परा जय प्रभु परा जय प्रभु परा शील प्रभु परा जय प्रभु परा जय प्रभु परा जय प्रभु परा शील प्रभु परा ृष्णगोपगोपीनाथ All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Sri Gauranga. All glories to Sri Rupa Upan. <coughs> Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Reading from 
Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, I think it's titled Signs of God. Chapter number 7, What Prahlad Learned in the Womb, text number 43. Kaman Kamayate Kamyai Yadartam Iha Purushaha Savai dehas tu parakyo, Banguro yati upaiticha, Kaman kamayate kamyai, Yadartam iha purushaha, Savai dehas tu parakyo, Banguro yati upaiticha, Kaman kamayate kamyai Yadartam iha purushaha Savai dehas tu parakyo Banguro yati upaiticha Thank you. 
Kaman, things for sense gratification. Kamayate, one desires. Kamayai, by different desirable actions. Yet, of which, artham, for the purpose. Iha, in this material world. Purushaha, the living entity. Saha, that. Vai, indeed. Deha, body. Tu, but. Parakya, belongs to others. The dogs, vultures, etc. Banguraha, Perishable. Yati goes away. Upayati embraces the spirit soul. Cha end. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhakti Vedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada ki. A living entity desires comfort for his body and makes many plans for this purpose. But actually the body is the property of others. Indeed, the perishable body embraces the living entity and then leaves him aside. Translation responsively. A living entity desires comfort for his body and makes many plans for this purpose. But actually, the body is the property of others. Indeed, the perishable body embraces the living entity and then leaves him aside. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. Everyone desires comfort for his body and yeah, we can do it responsibly. Okay, everyone. Uh, yeah, okay, just one second. Yeah, I'll just finish the purpose. Everyone desires comfort for his body and tries to make a suitable situation for this purpose. Forgetting that the body is meant to be eaten by dogs, jackals, or moths, and thus turned into useless stool, ashes, or earth. The living entity wastes his time in a futile attempt to gain material possessions for the comfort of one body after another. Om Agyana Timirandasya Agyana Jana Shalakaya Chakshurul Militam Yena Tasme Sri Guruve Namaha Sri Chaitanya Mano Bistam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadahmayam Dadati Swapadantikam Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadara Sri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda 
हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे 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 कृष्णा दस रिक्वेस्ट प्लीज मूव फॉरवर्ड डोंट वरी आई वन बाइट मूव फॉरवर्ड प्लीज अ बिट मोर अ बिट मोर translation again by shri prabhupad a living entity desires comfort for his body and makes many plans for this purpose but actually the body is not is the property of others indeed the perishable body embraces the living entity and then leaves him aside hari krishna i see many many new faces here today this morning or maybe i'm new because i don't come to the temple you all are maybe coming regularly uh nice to see many new faces so we are into canto 7 chapter 7 this canto has got 15 chapters we are almost about halfway through and um this verse pretty much is talking about something very basic and fundamental the body and the soul this is something that we can all relate to when think about the time when we first joined iskon when you came in contact with the hari krishna movement the devotees would have told you you're not the body you're the soul okay we have heard this repeatedly and it's very basic fundamental but it is so vital for us to understand this to actually make progress in our spiritual journey and it's something that is covered in bhagavad gita not only that but here we see in the bhagavatam which is meant to be the the amala purana and it is still talking about this basic fundamental topic about body and soul goes to show how important it is <coughs> and um the purport today is very short just two sentences i was like meditating or what to talk about yeah. and then i thought given that this topic about the body and soul is being repeatedly talked about in our scriptures maybe we should also revisit what has happened in this canto 7 so far going back to chapter 1 many of you would have already heard the past time from chapter 1 till now and for those of you who have been hearing this is an opportunity to actually as we revisit to ponder to meditate to actually think to be introspective to like ask ourselves okay i've heard this before how have i applied this in my life so far how have i made improvement in my spiritual journey because prabhupad says if philosophy is not applied then religion just becomes sentimental religion means a way of life and even though the hari krishna the krishna consciousness movement is not a religion but it is a way of life that we practice and in our practice if we don't apply the philosophy then it is just pure sentimentalism right so 
it is a time for us to think about how am I applying this? How am I actually making serious endeavor in my journey to go back to Godhead? Am I satisfied with my level of sadhana where in this lifetime I can go back to Godhead? So there is a need to revisit. For those who haven't heard this from chapter one, it's a time for you to maybe just, well, get to know what is all about, what's happening so far, right? So, how does Canto 7, Chapter 1 open? All the more reason we need to revise. <laughs> Canto 7, Chapter 1 opens with Parikshit Maharaj asking Shukadev Goswami, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is actually meant to be equal to everyone. There's not meant to be any partiality. But how is it, just like a common man, he has taken the side of Lord Indra? Hare Krishna. And um, so it's like, why is the Lord being, impartial, uh, being partial here? Because he's meant to be everyone's well-wisher. And he is specifically mentioning Lord Indra because of Canto 6, the pastime was focused on how Lord Indra was supposedly favoured. And um, then he also makes on more comments like saying, well, the Supreme Lord is the reservoir of all pleasure. He is self-satisfied, he is Atmaram, he is self-sufficient. What does he have to gain by taking sides with the demigods for such a person? Yeah. And therefore, he then puts this question to uh, Shukadev Goswami and says, please dispel my doubt about the neutrality of the Lord. Okay, I, I'm just doubtful whether he's actually neutral or not. Shukadev Goswami responds to that immediately by saying, excellent question. He acknowledges the quality of the question and he says, questions like these, they invoke discussion about the glories of the Lord. And in the process of discussing, uh, discussing the glories of the Lord, the glories of his exalted devotees are also discussed. So acknowledges the quality of the, of the question. And then he frames his answer within the five subject matters of the Bhagavad Gita. Okay, these Vaikuntha children here, what are the five subject matters of the Bhagavad Gita? Yeah, time, Prakriti, yes, Jiva, yes, Karma, yes, one more, Ishvara, okay, they are definitely Vaikuntha children. Yeah. So, he starts off by first focusing on Ishvara. He says, the Lord is Nirguna. He doesn't have any material qualities. Through his causeless mercy and through his internal potency, the Lord actually descends into the material world through his various incarnations. And when he assumes, when he takes on the form of 
a human being, he performs his manusya leela, performs the duties and obligations just like an ordinary human being, but he is untouched by material nature. He is in the material world, but not of this world, because he is absolute, he is tra transcendental, he is para-prakriti, he is above prakriti. Then speaking about prakriti, Shukriya Goswami explains that it's actually the eight separated external energies of the Lord, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. And then it also includes the three modes of material nature, sattva-gun, tamagun, rajagun, good. And then these do not touch the Lord. But prakriti, these modes of material nature, they do not all act at once at the same time. And it's not static. Prakriti is dynamic. There is ebbing and flowing. There is like, you know, like the seasons, high tide, low tide, like that. So when the mode of goodness is prominent, Sattva Gun is prominent, the demigods flourish. When Rajagun is prominent, mode of passion, the demons flourish. When Tamagun is prominent, the mode of ignorance, the Rakshashas and the Yakshas, they flourish. And then he talks about the Jiva. The Jiva in the material world, due to his past uh, fruitive activities, he is given a body by the mercy of the Lord, which is already infused with a proportionate uh, quantity or uh, level of the mode of nature suiting the body and based on the law of karma. And being conditioned in this material mode, the conditioned living entity is then subjected to duality. He sees everything as I, mine, love, hate, good, bad, chastise, praise. But all these do not apply to the Lord because he's transcendental. And to illustrate this point, Shukadev Goswami then, because remember the question was when Maharaj Parikshit asked the question, give me evidence, give me proven evidence, dispel my doubt with evidence that the Lord is neutral. So then, Shukadev Goswami begins the narration of a conversation which takes place between who? Jeez, we really have to revise. Between Narada Muni and Yudhisthira Maharaj. Okay. So the setting of the scene, the scene here is the Rajasuya um, assembly, sacrifice assembly. Yudhisthira Maharaj has arranged this to honor Lord Krishna. Lord Krishna is there. And then we have the personality, Shishupal, who is blaspheming the Lord continuously in the assembly. Blaspheming, blaspheming, blaspheming. Finally, it became time for his liberation. What did the Lord do? He released his Sudarshan Chakra, and the Chakra very neatly separated Shishupal's head from his body without a single drop of blood being spilled so as not to contaminate the sacrificial arena. And to the amazement of everyone, 
the soul left Shishupal's body, travelled across the assembly hall and entered Lord Krishna's body. So this was bewildering to Yudhisthira Maharaj. He then poses the question to Narada Muni, how is this possible? How is this that someone who has been blaspheming the Lord continuously like this can attain Sayuja Mukti when Vena, he blasphemed the Lord too, but he went to hell. I don't understand. And then how is it that lifetimes after lifetimes, great sages perform this severe tapasya, follow all the religious principles, and yet they cannot attain this Sayuja Mukti. So then again Narada Muni explains in the context of what was already said earlier. He says, the jiva being conditioned in the material nature is subjected to duality. He sees everything from the perspective of I and mine, love and hate, chastise praise. But from the Lord's perspective, whether one chastises him or whether one prays to him out of love, it's all good. At the absolute level, it's all good. Right? And then Narada Muni makes an astonishing statement. Whether it is out of enmity, whether it is out of affection, whether it is out of fear, whether it is out of love and devotion, as long as one concentrates his mind on the Supreme Lord, he will go back to Godhead eventually. And then he adds, in my opinion, Narada Muni says, the intensity with which one can concentrate the mind on the Lord out of love and devotion cannot match the intensity with which one actually is thinking of him in enmity. Now in the case of King Vena, he went to hell because, in that pastime, King Vena thought he was God. He, he said, don't pray to anybody, pray to me. I'm God. Okay. The Brahmanas at that time, using the Brahma Tejas, they say, this is too much. We have to finish him off. And with their Brahma Tejas, they just said, hmm, they chanted that mantra. Okay. That was it. Hmm. Vena died, right? And we know from that pastime, from his dead body, the great Prithu Maharaj appeared, right? So then at this point, we may wonder, hmm, the intensity of love and devotion cannot match the intensity of enmity. So why don't I then come every morning to temple, stand in front here and blaspheme the Lord? Even saying it is distasteful. I'm sure you hearing it also would hear it being very dis distasteful. But it's a logical question in the context of what we are hearing. Now we have to understand the answer lies in knowing that we are followers of 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings sit on the foundation or the bedrock of love and devotion, not blasphemy. Okay. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, there's a verse where it says, Anarpita charim chirat karunaya vetrnaha kalar samar payatam unnato jalarasam bhakti sriyam harihi purata sundara dyoti kandamba sandipita sada hardaya kandares puratu sachinandana. May the Lord, who is known as the son of Mother Sachi, be situated in the innermost core of your heart. Resplendent with the color of molten gold, he has descended into this age of Kali by his causeless mercy to bestow no other incarnation has ever bestowed. And what is that? He bestowed the highest mellow of devotional service. And what is that? The mellow of conjugal love. Lord Chaitanya appeared for two reasons. The external reason and internal reason. External reason is, yes, he came to propagate the Sankirtan movement. But the internal movement is, he wanted to taste this Mahabhav that his topmost devotee, Srimati Radharani, was relishing. So he came in the mood of his topmost devotee, Srimati Radharani. And during his pastimes, he displayed this, he tasted this. Right? But this Mahabhav is exclusive to the divine couple, Srimati Radharani and Lord Krishna. No other living entity in the whole of creation can actually achieve this Mahabhav. Therefore, following in the footsteps of the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, our Acharya, starting from the Goswamis right down to Srila Prabhupada, have been teaching how to love Krishna in Dasyaras, in the mood of servitorship. That is why every morning when we stand in front of the Lord, it is an expression, it is an opportunity to express our love, our devotion. Right? So now coming back to the pastime. Yudhisthira Maharaj then continues to ask Narada Muni, Alright, this happened to Shishupal, but who is Shishupal? Then Narada Muni explains the uh, pastime about Jay and Vijay at the gates of Vaikuntha. The four sons of Lord uh, Brahma, the four Kumaras, they being, um, they were like five-year-old boys, but they were very aged and very elevated in their consciousness, they were Jnana Mishra Bhaktis up to that point when this pastime took place. So they were freely moving all over the universe, nobody stopped them. But when he came to the gates of Vaikuntha, Jaya and Vijay stopped them. So the four Kumaras got offended and they cursed Jaya and Vijay. They cursed and the Lord had to intervene. He intervened by actually walking, he came by foot to where this pastime was happening at the gates of Vaikuntha and on his lotus feet were tulsi leaves. The aroma from, of the tulsi leaves from the lotus feet of the Lord entered the nostrils of the four Kumaras and from Jnana Mishra Bhaktas they become Bhaktas, pure Bhaktas, personalists. And through the intervention of the Lord they were then uh, cursed for 
Jay and Vijay were cursed for three lifetimes to be born as demons. In Satya Yuga, they were born as the twin terrors. Who? Hiranyakashipur and Hiranyaksha. Right? They were twins. Now, Hiranyakashipur appeared second. He was born second. But he is considered the elder of the two. Because in Vedic science, whoever is conceived first is the elder. So he was conceived first, but he appeared second. Right? And then in Treta Yuga, oh no, uh, one more point is like, Narada Muni also mentions that Hiranyakashipu tortured his exalted five-year-old son, um, exalted devotee of the Lord. And um, then in Treta Yuga, they were born as Ravana and Kumbhakarna. And in Dwapara Yuga, they were born as Shishupal and Dandavakra. That's how the connection comes to Shishupal. So by this time, um, Yudhisthira Maharaj is happy with the topic of partiality. Then Bhagavata moves on to another direction. The question then arises as to why Hiranyakashipur tortured his son. Normally, father is very affectionate to the children. And why did he actually torture the son? And also why or how this five-year-old child became such an exalted devotee of the Lord? Then, this great uh, entrance by Hiranyakashipu takes place. He makes his grand entrance straight away displaying his ignorance. Chapter 16 of the Bhagavad Gita, I think it's text number 4, where the verse, the text actually describes the qualities of a demoniac person. The chapter is called Divine and Demoniac Natures. And here, Hiranyakashipu is personifying all those qualities of demons. The text there says it's like um, demonic nature, one who is full of pride, uh, anger, uh, harshness, uh, he's conceited, he's ignorant, okay? uh, he's arrogant. And Prabhupada says in the Bhagavad Gita text, these are the qualities which will lead one to the road to hell. Then he makes his grand entrance and straight away he is shown seething with anger. He's simply seething with anger, Hiranyakashipu. He says, the Lord, he is biased, he has, he has sided with the demigods and he has killed my brother, Hiranyaksha, in the form of Lord Varaha. So now I have to take revenge. I will severe his head and I will, I will take his blood and offer it to my dead brother. How gross. Okay. And these demons, these demigods, I will destroy them. Then he instructs his servants, 
Go now. Go to all the places where you find Vedic civilization, where you find Varnashrama system, where you find Brahmanas, cow protection. Destroy all that. Okay. Go to the places where you find Brahmanas, where you find cows being protected. Burn all those, all those places. Why? I don't want any yagyas to take place. Why? When there are no Brahmanas, yagyas cannot happen because Brahmanas conduct yagyas. When there are no cows, the yagya ingredients, the panjagavya ingredients cannot be obtained. Okay? And when yagyas cannot be performed, Chatriya administration weakens, that crumbles. Okay? And when yagya cannot be performed, demigods cannot get their share of offerings. So kill, if we want to destroy Vishnu and his demigods, do as I say, go. And they go. They go and execute his orders. There is turbulence, lots of these ill effects happening. People stop actually doing all these religious activities. And the demigods are like wondering what to do. Meanwhile, Hiranyakashipu then approaches his mother Diti, his sister-in-law Rushabanu, and his nephews, three nephews. And he preaches and pacifies them about the death of Hiranyaksha. He says, don't lament. Hiranyaksha has actually died a glorious death. Anyone who dies on the battlefield at the hands of the uh, enemy is indeed glorious. So don't lament. Okay. Then he preaches Krishna conscious philosophy. He talks about the body and the soul. Okay. The body is temporary. The soul is eternal. Right. The soul is inexhaustible. It cannot be cut, cannot be nainam chindanti shastrani Bhagavad Gita verse. And then he says, there's no reason to lament. We are just like, due to our past fruitive activities, we are just coming together as a family temporarily. And then again, at the end of our respective lives, we will go our different ways. We are just like travelers in a hotel where they come, converge in a hotel, stay for a short time, and then they go. There's a similar analogy in Canto 6 where Angira Muni and Narada Muni, they say, we are just like seaweeds, pieces of seaweed floating on the surface of the ocean. And then when the forces of the waves, they actually act upon these weeds, they just all disperse, go their different directions. So he says, don't lament. And to illustrate his point, he then narrates this historical incident of King Suyagya from the kingdom of Ushinara. This king, a valiant king, he goes to battle one day and he dies on the battlefield. Right? He dies on the battlefield and then what happens? His queens, hearing about his death, they run to the battlefield, they sit around his dead body and then there is intense wailing, sobbing, lamentation, which is like unimaginable, right? They are so intensely lamenting, oh, it's like, oh, my dear husband, you're dead, who is now going to protect me, who's going to look after us? 
Oh cruel providence, you have taken our life away from us. My dear husband, please tell us where you have gone. We want to come back to you. They're thumping their chests uh, and it's like the kungum is all smeared and their ornaments all in disarray. Reminds, of, reminds us of a similar pastime in Canto 6. Remember that in Canto 6 about Maharaj Chitraketu and Harsha Soka? Maharaj Chitraketu had 10 million wives. They were all barren, couldn't bear children. He wanted a son. Angira Muni came onto the scene, granted him a boon. Son was born, Harsha Shoka. Okay, and he was doted upon by the eldest queen, Krita Dyuti and uh, Maharaj Chitraketu. They were so attached to the young boy, but the remaining wives out of the 10 million, they were envious, and what did they do? They poisoned that child. Harsha Shoka dies. There is intense lamentation, something like this. Okay, it's like uh, Chitraketu Maharaj just like is bereft of life, is like trying to run to see where his son was lying dead and he was stumbling, falling over, his ornaments, his dress is all going dis in disarray and Queen Krita Dyuti, she is like again, like here, thumping a chest, oh my dear son, you're gone, you're dead. And in that pastime, Angira Muni and Narada Muni appear on the scene and give them spiritual knowledge. They talk to Maharaj Chitraketu saying, okay, you got your son lying here. What is your relationship with this dead body? You may say you have a relationship of parent and son, but did you have this relationship before this? Will you have this relationship into the future? In fact, do you have this relationship now? The body is temporary, the soul is eternal. So wake up, don't lament. Wake up from this slumber of ignorance. Right? And then, to drive home the point, Narada Muni calls back the living entity, makes the living entity re-enter Harsha Shoka's body, and the living entity starts to speak to the parents. I've been transmigrating from body to body according to my past fruitive activities over many, many lifetimes, many, many life cycles, birth, old age, disease, death. Okay. Sometimes I was born as a demigod, sometimes as a human being, lower planets, as a plant or whatever. So, in which lifetime were you both my parents? It's a moment like someone splashes a bucket of cold water onto your face. <laughs> you just wake up from that slumber. Right? And that's, now coming back to this pastime, that's about to happen here. So the queens are like lamenting, lamenting, lamenting. And while they're lamenting, they did not want to release King Suyagya's body to be cremated. They were so attached. Right? And because they didn't want to release, the auspicious time to conduct the funeral ceremony was closing. Not only that, their loud wailing and sobbing could be heard even in the abode of Yamaraj. 
Not only that, King Suyagya, the soul was hovering as a ghost. Why? Because he is so attached to that body. Just like what our verse here says, um, what does it say? The perishable body embraces the living entity and then leaves him aside. So due to the force of time, the body is separated from the jiva. And just like a jilted lover at that time, the jiva thinks like, Oh, what did I do to you? Why are you leaving me? Okay? Let's go for counseling. Let's get back together. Right? And it's like a difficult time for the jiva. Compounded by the fact there is lots of wailing and sobbing by relatives, it makes it that much more difficult for the jiva to actually go on its journey. Garuda, Garuda Purana actually says the soul hangs around for about 11 or 10 days because of its attachment to that body. And that's why we do all these prayers and that's why we cremate the body to cut off that connection and the, the ceremonies that we do to release. But in the Hare Krishna movement, what is the best thing that we do when someone is dying or is dead? We chant Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And why do we do that? So that the soul, instead of lamenting about the separation from the body, it actually focuses on the holy name and it makes it that much easier for the soul to go on its journey. So given that this wailing and sobbing was heard all the way to the abode of Yamaraj, Yamaraj had to intervene. He appeared on the scene as a five-year-old. Something about this five-year-old. So many in, in our scriptures, everywhere it's five-year-old, five-year-old. Dhruva Maharaj left the home when he was five years old. Narada Muni, when his mother died out of snake bite, he walked north when he was five years old. Okay. Prahlad Maharaj, five years old. Now Yamaraj entering the scene as a five-year-old. I don't know if there's any reference in the scriptures about this five years old, why it's so significant. Maybe it's because we just got to start our devotional service at that age. Kamaram Acharat Pragyu. So anyway, he appears on the scene. And then he makes this observation. He's like, amazing. I'm just a five year old. But these queens, they're older than me. Surely they would have seen more deaths in their lives. And therefore, one would think that they would handle this departure in a more dignified way instead of lamenting like this. It's bewildering. We are all under the control of the Supreme Lord. We just spend our time in our, in our respective bodies and due to our past fruitive activities, we get another body or we go back to Godhead depending on our sadhana. So then he addresses the queens. My dear queens, if you think the self is the body, then your king is right here in front of you. What is there for you to lament? But if you think the self is the soul, you didn't know the soul when it was in King Suyagya's body. So why now do you have to lament for a person that you didn't know when he was around? 
And then, again to drive home the point, he narrates the story of these two Kulinga birds, right? Where there's a male bird, female bird, family, young family, okay? So, so far we've heard Canto 6, parents were lamenting the loss of a child. Now we've heard uh, queens lamenting the loss of the husband. And in this Kulinga bird pastime, husband lamenting. Because the female bird is caught in a hunter's trap. And then the husband, the male bird is like lamenting, oh, my wife, she's the better half. I'm only half the body now. And if she can't be released, what's the point of me living? I'd rather die. Yeah. If I were to be in that situation, if I were to be lamenting, if my wife were to be in trouble, I'll be lamenting, oh, who's going to cook for me? Who's going to wash my clothes? I don't even know how to operate the washing machine. But here, then, this lamentation is going on where the male bird is saying, Oh, there's no point living. The little birds, they are waiting in the nest for their mother to come home and to feed them. How am I going to look after them without my wife? Oh, cruel providence, you are so, so cruel. While lamenting like this, the hunter from somewhere, he shoots an arrow and kills the male bird. Dead, gone. Right? And then he hammers, oh, Yamaraj then hammers home the point to the queen. Even if you lament for hundreds of years, your husband will never come back. Instead, in the meantime, your own duration of life will expire. So wake up from this slumber of ignorance. You are not the body, you are spirit soul. Okay. And they too get a bucket of cold water in the face, sort of that kind of moment. They then wake up also, they, they then allow the body to be cremated. Um, the soul departs, Yamaraj then leaves the scene, and Hiranyakashipu winds up the pastime of pacifying his mother Diti, sister-in-law Rushabanu, and his nephews. Then what happens next? Hiranyakashipu moves on to, oh, running out of time. I'll fast track. I'm supposed to finish in about uh, two minutes. <laughs> right, so Hiranyakashipu then, um, he goes on his quest for immortality and uh, he gets his boon from Lord Brahma, um, he, that he wants to be immortal. Brahma says, no, I can't give you because I'm not immortal. And he tries to outsmart Lord Brahma. He says that, okay, give me, give me the boons that no one can, no one created by you can kill me. I won't die inside any residence, outside any residence, not on the land, not in the sky, uh, not at daytime, not nighttime, all that. And then he says, make me the sole ruler of the whole universe. Give me the uh, uh, perfection of the eight Asta Siddhis. And then he goes on terrorizing. He gets Oh, soul rulership, he puts the demigods out of uh, work, they all become jobless. Uh, King Indra loses the rain department, uh, Lord Vayu loses the wind department, Varuna loses the water department. 
So Hiranyakashipu is then ruling like this. Then this time, he cannot, although he is conquering everything, there's one thing he cannot conquer, which is his mind and his senses. Right? And then the demigods, they can't tolerate this situation. They go to, they go to do their tapasya, they pray. Lord, Lord then speaks to them. He doesn't appear, he speaks to them. And he says, don't worry, I'll come. And I'll make sure that he is vanquished. Then it's time for Prahlad Maharaj to appear. Bhagavatam then, instead of just like how we saw Hiranyakashipu just appearing like that and displaying his ignorance, here in Prahlad Maharaj's case, his qualities come first. We hear all about his good qualities. Right? That he is a perfect Brahmana, he controls his mind and senses, he's got no unnatural pride, all that. And then Prahlad Maharaj appears on the scene and uh, he is um, being educated in religious, economic religious topics like Dharma, Artha, Kama. He's not interested in all that because he is embraced by the thoughts of the Lord all the time. Okay. And um, we're running out of time, really. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the pastime carries on where he. I got a fast track. And he then uh, speaks to his uh, schoolmates. Well, he sits on his father's lap first. This is important, I want to make. So one day, the father, Hiranyakashipu, puts him on his lap. And then uh, he, the father asks the son, what is the best thing that you've studied in school? When my kids were young, I asked them this question, oh, did you go to school? Yeah. How was school today? Good. What did you learn? Nothing. <laughs> is it happening with today's parents? Uh, yeah. Still happening? Yeah. So it goes on. And so Prahlad Maharaj sitting on the lab of his father, he answers the question, what is the best thing I've learned? A person who has accepted a temporary material body for living a life of sense gratification is embarrassed by the anxieties due to having fallen into a well not filled with water but filled with misery. Therefore, my dear father, give up this ignorant life Go to Vrindavan, take shelter of the Lord, hear and chant His holy names. And Hiranyakashipu's defensive mechanism is, he just laughs it off. Such is the intelligence of a, of an innocent child, he says. And then the second time after he has been gone to Gurukul and uh, Shanda and Amarka and they brought him back, and sits on the lab again, and again the father asks the same question. This time Prahlad Maharaj says, the famous nine processes, the verse about the nine processes of devotional service. What are they? Shravanam Kirtanam? He recites that. All right? This time the father gets angry, throws him off his lab, tells, uh, tells his servants, kill him. They tried to kill him, all sorts of torturous methods, we won't go into that. And then they can't kill him because he's under the total protection of the Lord. And now Hiranyakashipu becomes very silent and morose, he's fearful. 
Shanda and Amarka say, we'll continue to teach him. Maybe when he grows up, his intelligence will change. We'll take him back to Gurukul, keep him there. And he is then uh, preaching to his classmates. He preaches them about Krishna consciousness. He says, start devotional service from a very young age. age. And then he goes on to talk about what he learned in the womb. He says, Narada Muni is my guru. I heard this Bhagavad Dharma when I was in the womb of my mother. I'll hand here. We're, we've run out of time. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Quick questions, comments, anything? How did Prahlad Maharaj hear that? So, how did he know that Narada Muni was saying the Shiva Bhagavatam? Okay, the question is how did Prahlad Maharaj hear the Bhagavatam when he was in his mother's womb? Right? How did he know that the teacher was Narada? How did he know the teacher was Narada? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to speculate. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Okay, we've got to end this here. Grantaraj Srimad Bhagatam ki, Sila Prabhupada ki, Jai. Hare Krishna, there's an announcement. Gopa, you need the mic? Hare Krishna, everyone. Can I please have your attention for a few minutes? Can you, everyone, please sit down so we can, we can let you know what the program is? Nice class. Everyone, please settle down so we can tell you what the program is. If you'd like to come up front, everyone would like to come as much as possible right up to the front so we can let other people in there too as well. Hare Krishna. So please come in front as possible. We're gonna. So just to let you know, we are going to have uh, the program which we have held for Neve Prabhu up in this temple room. We are not going to go upstairs. So I would like uh, your full attention, all of you. Uh, we are going to do a kirtan uh, to start it off, and then after that uh, we'll have a bit of a speech, and if we have a video. Um, shown to as well. Am I correct? Uh, so it'll probably be about half an hour max and then we're gonna have prashadam. Okay, so we will have two stations. One which will be upstairs. That's basically. Yeah, so we encourage every one of you to please go upstairs and have prashadam because of the fact that we want to keep the noise level as low as possible. We do not want to disturb the neighbors 
and it's very important because there have been some issues. Um, so we'll try and serve as many people as possible upstairs. And when it's overcrowded, we will have another station downstairs, and that is if necessary. Okay? So please uh, mind your children too as well, those who are basically sort of having children or they're playing outside. Uh, it's very important that we keep the noise level very low. Okay? When you start now.